<laughs> I'm Ernest Borgnine. Thank you. Oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. Assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before, my name is Adam Portress, and I'm joined by Matt Smith. You know, we're not going to stop worrying about the bomb today, I'll tell you damn what. No bombs, man, no bombs. Ooh, there we go. Getting them recordings in, that's how we do. And we're here today to talk about another movie, and that uh, is available on streamings, man. That's how what we do around here, because we are in uh, quarantine. I think that's French for uh, by yourself, right? Oh, shit, I shouldn't have been drinking all this stuff then. No, you probably shouldn't. you got to put it just a little bit away. We called that a Larry Hagman. Oh, shit. <laughs> Larry Hagman drinks a lot, everybody. He had, he had history, you know. It happens, but that's you okay. Know, did I ever tell you about? <laughs> did I ever tell you about my? It's it's story time with old Matt. Doo-doo-doo. Did I ever tell you about uh my friend, uh, my dad's friend who uh was an alcoholic? He had a delivery concierge service from the liquor store no, by his house in Lancaster, South Carolina, in the, n- the early nineties, late eighties. Uh, the liquor store that my dad's friend lived uh, down the road from did not want him risking his life by driving there to get another bottle if he ran out. So he called the owner to bring him liquor whenever he needed it. Hey, you got to get your Cuddy Sark somehow. Listen, that guy's not alive anymore. So. <laughs> uh, Maybe a little bit too much of the Cuddy Sark. <laughs> Well, I, you know, the, he's a fucking alcoholic, man. Uh, what are you going to say? Yeah, you know, these but, things uh, happen. You know who else was an alcoholic? Sidney Lumet. I don't know if that's true or not. But <laughs> I, I don't think that's true at all, actually. <laughs> was he uh, not? I don't know. I can't say that I know much about his personality outside of like the movies that he's directed. Uh, no, I think it was like a pretty like head screwed on straight dude. Yeah, his movies are pretty good, and we're going to talk about them. Here's the trailer for Failsafe. God forgive us. On April 16th. Why's that group of planes up there headed for Russia? Give me the president. 30 million people. Okay. Well. Let me ask you something, Matt. Do you know what I did there? Uh, what, what'd you, what'd you play? Apparently there was a fail safe that was done with Brian Dennehy in it. And it was also in black and white. <laughs> Amazing. Here's the original trailer. <laughs> this should be different. bombers of the strategic air command on routine patrol each plane carries two 20 megaton hydrogen bombs designed to detonate over enemy targets 
At any given moment, night or day, flights of those airplanes are in the air. that was a hell of a great trailer it was super good i enjoyed all of it uh and uh it, it doesn't do well for podcasting uh, that's my not fault at all not at all but you know what to do better let me let me let me read you the little imdb plotline as we know imdb always 100 percent correct in everything they say and or do this should be perfect american planes were sent to deliver a nuclear attack on moscow but it's a mistake due to an electrical malfunction can all out war be averted this is directed by Sidney lament starring what listen to this murderer's fucking row over here henry fonda walter Matthau, fritz waver dan O'Hurley. i always fucking pronounce that wrong frank overton yeah, dan O'Hurley, he did it Ah, very good. Uh, like I said, the aforementioned uh, Larry Hagman and just like eight gajillion more people from Dom DeLuise to you, you name it. Shake a stick at it during this fucking film. This is the, uh, the it's a mad, 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 mad world of depressing atomic war movies. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so a, fail a who's safe. who of that guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it certainly is. I'm surprised Ernest Borgnine didn't show up in this motherfucker at some point. <laughs> He was busy. <laughs> I'm just busy minding the gap between my teeth. I'm Ernest Borgnine. Thank you. Oh, my God. He is great, though. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's fantastic in a lot of stuff. Maybe we should have a uh, a Bork fest. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's market it really heavily as Bork fest. Make no <laughs> reference to it not being about Star Trek, and then it's nothing. Nothing but Ernest Borgnine. Straight ass. And, like, yeah, that's how good. good the programming is, is everybody fucking stays. Because they're like, God damn it, Ernest Borgnine is actually pretty great. Yeah, of course. But he's not in this film. <laughs> he's, not in, he's not in this movie. Neither is Brian Denny. No, uh, not Brian. I, while, while you were playing the second trailer, I looked that up. Uh, uh, so it was uh, uh, in 2000, they did a live broadcast of this. Oh, okay. On CBS. Yeah, I guess I remember um, kind of hearing about that. And and so it also had like an all star cast in it. Um, uh, Stephen Frears uh, directed, but like Walter Cronkite hosted. Richard Dreyfus was the president. Uh, Noah Wiley was in it. Brian Dennehy, <coughs> Sam Elliott, James Cromwell, Hank Azaria, Norman Lloyd, John Cheadle, George Clooney, Harvey Keitel. Uh, they all had like these you know roles where they walked on and said their thing. But it was like you know old school stage production style apparently. Yeah, and this is kind of, uh, in, in some similar ways, a little bit uh, characteristic. I like to think of this, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I've never seen this before up until uh, today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'll just go ahead and lay that out on the table. Uh -huh. um, but really, really great. And uh, Lamette's a guy who I'm like, I'm, I'm mostly missed with a lot of his catalogs. I'm always looking to, you know, see more because they're good. it's a shit ton of it. That guy directed like 50-something movies, man. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's a couple like, it's to a choose lot. from. <laughs> or may, Yeah, and that's not counting the TV stuff he did, like uh, like just TV shows, but like the movies he did like something like 50. So yeah, it's a lot. Uh, now, for those of you uh, that that were like me, and like you've probably seen stuff of his before, obviously with like Twelve Angry Men, and I'd like to say that this is like the uh, big budget version of that in a lot of ways. 
Does that make sense to you? Uh, no. <laughs> well, just in as much as like it's a lot of people talking. We're seeing yeah, yeah, yeah. we're seeing a fantastic war film here, and we don't see a lot of actual war. There's a couple of you know kind of. A uh, couple of shots to indicate that things are going on and stuff, uh, but this is not a film where they sent out, you know, a a crapload of people to recreate oh, scenes no. of war. Well, you know, so Sidney Lumet comes out of TV. Um, he uh, he worked on a lot of TV. He worked for a long time on uh, this uh, series called Danger, um, and then uh, like here and there was directing stuff. But what what he really got known for, and what allowed him to kind of jump into um, feature filmmaking, is he was a really good and respected director of live TV uh, teleplays, right? Uh, so things like Alcoa Hour and Playhouse ninety and shit, where like each episode uh, every week was a live a live performance of a stage play, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was able to parlay that into making a couple of features early on and then a bunch of TV movies, including a, uh, a remake of Rashomon in 1960, by the way. Hmm. Um, but he, he kind of came out of this, because it's television production, very economical style of filmmaking. And so what you get with a lot of his early films in particular is uh, they're they're a little stagey, but very experimental in the way that they're approaching how to do this. So, if, like at the beginning of this movie, the end of this movie, and then all of the scenes of of planes flying, right? They almost feel like they're from uh, like an experimental film. Yeah, uh, and and the way the movie ends, the way it does the the atomic bomb kind of uh, with just freeze frames and zooms uh, as, as things end. Um, very clever, very inventive, yeah, now, and, and saves money. The uh, yeah, it, it's 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 very of that kind of experimental time and stuff. And like you can tell, like this is a time where we are starting to make that cinema transition a little bit. Of like, uh-huh. oh, things can be a little bit more realistic. Like we're not quite there yet, but like there's a couple of like shots that you go, oh, that clearly was shot in New York you know, kind of thing as opposed to like a soundstage. And and you can see in, in here, some of the stylistic things that would come into play much more so in the late sixties, early seventies with the new Hollywood, um, where, you know, Lamette later goes on to make his real classic film, Serpico dog day afternoon network. Mm -hmm. Like the also early eighties film. I don't know if you've seen, uh, but death trap. You ever seen that movie? That's with, uh, Reeve, right? Christopher Reeve with yeah with christopher reeve michael Caine, yeah uh really fucking fun um it's also if if you've uh if you've seen uh knives out uh lots of homage to death trap in that movie (laughs) a lot of oh yeah yeah i guess i never really Um, thought about that but that does make a lot of sense (laughs) but anyway so you see like lamette starting to experiment here coming out of television doing these kind of uh stagey things but throwing in some flair, some experimental flash to it that becomes really in the next decade uh, kind of a hallmark of those movies, that hyper-realism, experimental formality, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, just uh, like I said, just a bunch of killers in this cast, man. Walter Matthau is just spectacular as this guy who's like, uh, he's not really part of the government, but he goes along and kind of says, "Here are all the here are all the statistics, and here's all the plans. Here's the things yeah, that you kind of need to do." Consulting on all the things, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I really like that this movie is uh, kind of as sparse as it is. It really does rely on the acting to sell everything. Uh, it's also got really great lighting, uh, which is also very it's sparse. So dramatic uh, and like yeah, the the great just the fact that it's in black and white and it just has this very stark contrast of which is also great because like this movie is about very much kind of black and white and where are the shades of gray within that? How is it difficult to see? You know, kind of what's going on and I, it's just it's super. Like, even though that may not be, like, you know, one of the forefront things, like, it's certainly always in your mind because of how it's shot. Well, and, and the guy who uh, shot this, um, his name is uh, Gerald Hirschfield, uh, worked with Lamette a lot. Um, but uh, he also was, like, the DP on things like Young Frankenstein. Um, so he he really does know how to shoot uh, very good stuff. Um yeah, it looks great, actually. Uh, this movie did not do that great when it came out, however. Uh, it was uh, it came out the same year as Dr. Strangelove. Which is funny because uh, this uh, Criterion actually has these two on a double build together as in yeah. one of their fun things. And they, I think they would make a good double build. There's like the comedy version and the serious version. Well, the problem for Failsafe, uh, according to everybody, and including Henry Fonda, like when he when he was asked about this years later, he said that if, uh, if he had seen Dr. Strangelove, he would have never agreed to make Failsafe because he would have thought it was ridiculous. Uh, mm -hmm. Because people went and saw Dr. Strangelove. It was a big hit, right? So they saw Dr. Strangelove, and it was this dark comedy, and they thought it was all funny, and then they see this very serious take, and people thought it was stupid and funny-looking. Yeah, it's like where's the like joke should be here? Humorous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but there's but there's nothing really humorous about it. <laughs> there just isn't. No. <laughs> it's and a it, very it's serious, really somber movie. Really quick, yeah. Really intense. Very quickly, it kind of holds that up throughout the whole thing. It's it's almost a hyper realistic thought game of wh why would nuclear war start and how would we prevent it if it had gotten to that point accidentally. And it goes to some pretty dark places, actually, with the decisions that the president has to make about how to appease the Russians so they don't just annihilate the entire planet. Um, and that we don't, in turn, retaliate against them and everybody just dies. Uh, there's that great scene between Matthau and uh, the girl in his car at the beginning of the film that he's, you know, taking home where they're just talking about, like, you know, that every, she tells him, you know, everybody dies. Yeah. Like there's no, there's nobody that survives. So why, why, you know, why aren't you saying that? And they talk about the power of knowing and all of that stuff. Um, but really what this movie does with that scene is sets up like how horrifying all of this actually could be in a very realistic scenario. And it really plays it for tension. Um, and it's, it's kind of brutal. Man, 1964, uh, pretty bleak outlook 
for everything at that point. Yeah, not a lot of sunshine and rainbows at the end. That's for darn sure. At least, at least Kubert gave us, you know, one what a wonderful world, which is yeah, obviously clearly, right. you know, juxtaposition and everything. But nevertheless, at least you felt good with that song. <laughs> this is just like everything's bad. Sorry, the end. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Like from the the title cards that pop up right at the beginning, the the <laughs> the um bullfighting nightmare that the pilot has um all of that stuff right uh just adds up to one bad trip man uh j- again i do want to say like and, and there's so many like there's great camera moves and other neat stuff in here that's a li- that's very stylistic and stuff and then there's like a scene where you know you you have henry fonda and larry hagman uh just sitting on a telephone and talking in a two shot and it's dramatic as shit. Oh yeah, that stuff is actually some of the best scenes in the movie and it's because you can really see them playing off of one another in those scenes uh with a silent third, right? Because they're talking to the the Russian uh president um who we hear but like he's speaking Russian and we don't get subtitles. So Hagman's translating, Fonda's playing off of that translation, but they're they're also playing off of each other as the interpretation comes through live and it's really quite amazing to see this kind of two-handed performance from the two of them really acting their asses off uh just sitting there on the phone yeah it's great because minutes and minutes there there's not the third who knows how much of what they got back as far as like something on the other end of the phone where they could have you know something to hear but like these two just sitting there and having this conversation and it's one that wouldn't even take place like this because time for to translate and all that kind of good stuff it wouldn't work out this smoothly in real life but it's like a hyper well, they, it's they real but this. not As, this is how like the un operates yeah but, but not quite in this exact time you know it's no, not no, no. it's not right, like that smooth you know it's not that like gorgeous like cinematic kind of like oh it's it, everything kind of lines up perfect there's like it feels like there's enough of a gap like but in reality there yes. wouldn't be that quite that gap but it makes it so much better it's like and you wouldn't want it the other way to be quite frank true that's true but no, it's it's like extremely well done, and those scenes are really some of the best in the movie. And it's just watching these two terrific actors on screen together, just uh, just ripping it up together. Uh, and uh, quick little, uh, you see, he's he's listed in the title card, so you can kind of see it, so you know he's he's coming. You're like, where where, where is he coming? But Dom DeLuise is great. He's got such a small little role, but like uh-huh. what he does in that little role is just super. It's so good. Yes. Yeah, he's he's uh, very brief uh, in the movie relative to everybody else. Um, yeah, he's he's amazing. Because you're like, well, um, what's what's he gonna do in this movie? And he comes in as this kind of like you know uh, meek little guy who kind of needs to step up in in the proper time. It's I just I the, the movie's really great. It's uh uh I, like I said, this is the first time that I had seen it and everything, but uh, this will definitely be one. Uh, that I go back to, and I think that uh, it plays, it can play certainly well at just about any time, and it shows you that, like, at the end of the day, even from the 60s and stuff, things hadn't changed that much. There's a lot of, you know, people sitting behind boardrooms and just kind of making decisions and, uh, 
you're certainly hoping there's the best one and like there's arguments on both sides that are you know can definitely be compelling and you know making the right decision is probably one of the toughest things that you can possibly do especially when it comes uh to the you know other lives being involved in stuff and right. i think that's why that you'll be able to go to this movie year after year because again no matter where you fall on the spectrum and stuff there's there's questions to be had in here and like that's what's that's what i think is so powerful about it and one that will uh continue on uh this uh legacy that obviously the film i believe has today yeah i think so too and i'm gonna say something that's a little probably a little controversial but i think philosophically this movie has a lot more going on in it than dr strange love does oh for sure uh, I think Strange Love has a lot more style to it, uh, although Lamette has his own thing. Sorry, I had to sneeze for a second. <laughs> no worries. Um, but uh, even though Lamette has his own style to everything, this kind of stark, uh, sparse staging, uh, I do think that behind all of this, there's a lot more like big question, uh, philosophical implication about uh nuclear holocaust and the responsibility of governments and individuals within those governments uh who have control over all of these things as well as our own individual responsibilities as citizens uh and what it means to wield these different uh weapons uh that can literally just end the world as we know it in a heartbeat um that I don't think Dr. Strangelove necessarily deals with in a way that is not tongue in cheek, which yeah, it's not really straightforward (laughs) in any way, which is fine. I I think like humor and dark comedy is great at dealing with a lot of this stuff as commentary, but I think that it kind of dampens the, uh, the heavy philosophical implications sometimes of the questions that it wants us to ask where we become focused on, uh, you know, cowboys and jokes i denied them my to, essence yeah exactly <laughs> uh right i mean that movie gets boiled down a lot of the time into uh you know uh lines yeah everyone thinks that like you go you know? dr strange love everyone immediately thinks of you know slim pickens sitting on the bomb slim pickens on the bomb uh precious bodily fluids all of that stuff right yeah and all of that's really great and absurd uh and but this one is really taking all of that and really trying to address it head on. And it is kind of terrifying uh, to see it. Uh, but I think uh, certainly worth seeing. And as we said, that's available on the uh, Criterion channel right now. And uh, I think it may be other places as well. I thought I said it, it may be even on YouTube. So, uh, you know. Take a look, man. It's uh, it's worth... It's rentable on YouTube, for sure. Okay, well, then there you go. Uh, definitely worth the uh, shot there, and I'll be watching it a little bit more on the old uh, Criterion channel there. Matt, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Uh, go ahead and follow me on uh, Instagram, at Matt underscore Boyd underscore Smith. Uh, that's it. You can just follow me there. I like Instagram just fine. I think you'll like it okay as well. Good deal. And, of course, uh, Hero Movie Podcast, Mandalorian 30 Questions, Clone Wars 30 Questions, and all that other good stuff. Uh, We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a good one.
I don't think it's insensitive to play that. <laughs> right? I <laughs> uh, don't care at all. Sure. It's fun. There's a bomb at the end of the movie, everybody. Yeah, who cares? It makes sense. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I don't think anybody... Uh, and that's why we leave it uh, here at the end of the show. So that's where, you know... This is where the this is the clubhouse. This is where all the cool kids stay. <laughs> right. They get to the end. They're like, "Oh hell yeah!" I heard that. Yeah, like you know, re- the, the cool kids. <laughs> the fucking welcome to the honeycomb hideout, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. What what else we want to kind of do? Is you want to put in some? Uh, I gotta I gotta get I gotta get all my stuff right as far as this audio board goes. Um. I I don't know uh, what all we should do. Um, I had a small list before. I can't find it on my desk. I think it's downstairs. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I threw it in the garbage. Um, I'm sure by the next time we'll have talked, I'll have finished up that fucking Tiger King. I'll tell you that much. Okay, well, uh, do you want to tackle that and... Uh, we might rather uh, switch out uh, one of the episodes and drop that a little earlier. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can put it wherever. Well, you know, it'll be like relevant uh, the closer it is to now. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we can do that if you want to, or we can, uh, you know, just toss that aside and figure out what to do with it later. Um, I think. I think we should do that movie that's on Hulu, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, uh, what you really meant is to, to say was uh, Looney Tunes back in action. That movie ain't that bad. It's Joe Dante, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> it is. That, that movie's fucking Joe Dante. Uh, I think we should do uh, that movie. Um, I don't know if you, if you want to do this or you're down, but one thing I'm going to watch over the weekend is uh uh this uh movie called the human condition that's on uh criterion what's that about the human condition or something well it is a it's actually uh one long film that was released as three movies oh lord um yeah it's uh are we watching heaven's gate (laughs) It's an epic uh, film in ja- in Japan set during uh, World War II. Um, so it's a Japanese film. Its total length is nine hours and 47 minutes. I think that'll be a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I figure it's uh, everybody that's ever seen it likes it. It's a very well-regarded movie. And... Uh, I figure, like, you know, I've seen the director's cuts of uh, Lord of the Rings more than a few times, uh, so yeah. I, should be able to, I should be able to watch one more nine-hour and some change thing. Now, to be fair, like, I, th- if memory serves, I think I've technically only watched all three of the extended Lord of the Rings back-to-back-to-back in a theater. Now, that was like a 15-hour day, but... How many times did you have to go pee? Uh, really just once in between each film, you like, I mean, and that's why like any like long ass movie these days, ain't shit to me, boy. I don't care. Uh, I, 
I, I'm the same way. People make a big deal about like, oh, I need to pee. It's like, why don't you go pee before the movie starts? Yeah, just like you know, I mean, like if you even if you have this th- deal, right? So wait, go in. Like, here's how you need to plan it out. Get, when you get there, go pee right away, right? Uh-huh. And then wait through. Get, get your popcorn, get your drink, sit in your seat, have a little bit of both. You know, watch some trailers and stuff. By the time you get to about four trailers in, go one more time. Go one more time, you'll come back. Guess what? You're going to be good to go for the next two and a half, three hours. You'll be a okay. It's not a big deal. Just I put it together, sense, right? You fucking maniacs. <laughs> I think that's true. Damn it! <laughs> These people that piss me off. God, I gotta go to the bathroom. I've been, I've been in like you ever like had those films where somebody is like going in and out like four and five times. It's like, why are you even here? Yeah, just go home. You're finished. If you can't if you can't make it two hours, you don't need to be here. I mean, I know it might controversial statement. I'm gonna go ahead and take it. If you can't make it two hours without, you know, let's I'll give you one. I'll even give you one. If you're if you're leaving a second time, you're finished. Sorry. All right. I got I got two we should do. Okay. To add on there. So let's do Portrait of a Lady. And then on uh Criterion, two movies from the seventies that I shamefully have not seen. Okay. All right, Clute. Okay, I haven't seen Clute. You myself. seen that one? No. The Alan J. Pakula. No of it, but okay, have so not. Clute and uh, Shampoo. I feel like I saw Shampoo way back, but I it, I certainly could watch again. It's it's the Hal Ashby movie. It's one of his that I've not seen. Uh, there are only a couple. I love Hal Ashby. It's a uh, Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, goalie. Home. Oh yeah, believe you me, I I, I know all about um old John. What's his nut? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think we should. John do those. Peters. That's it. I fucking I knew I'd have to stream through my brain, but I could fit it. Yeah, that's apparently that, that's supposedly the John Peters story. Uh yeah, so um, do you want to choose a choose a fourth one and let's knock out four next time? Yeah. Um, we sh- you want to choose one on Netflix or Disney or we? Sh- I think we should diversify. Oh, let's uh, let's fucking or let's. Shutter. We're we throwing. I don't think we've done anything on Shutter yet. We're gonna throw in uh, Onward because that comes out uh, tomorrow. Okay, that's fine. We'll do that. Uh, do you want to throw in? Um, shit. What's the what's the one on Shutter? Daniel isn't real. Okay. That came out last week. So that'll give us five. So if we sit down and record for like two or three hours over the weekend, we should knock out all of this stuff. And then we'll have a lot in the bank. And maybe in another week, we can just start dropping three a week. All right. So I got Woman on Fire, Daniel Isn't Real, Onward, Shampoo. What was the clute? Uh, yeah. Portrait of Lady on Fire, fire uh, Shampoo, Clute, K-L-U-T-E. That's with, uh, oh, what's her bucket? Uh Jane Fonda, right? You gotta go. <laughs> anyway, it's the it's the one that she won the Oscar for. Jane Fonda won uh, the Oscar for that. Um, it's also Alan uh, Alan J. Pakula, who's uh, just a fucking great director. You've seen his other stuff, right? I think so. Probably. Well, a handful. I, well, I know you've seen. Uh, uh all the president's men yeah um 
but he did uh so he directed uh all the president's men uh parallax view uh oh, we got so pelican just... brief devil zone see i know those <laughs> Yeah, parallax view. Okay. Well, apparently his thing went off. So, uh, yeah, that's it for that. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around the after-after show, everybody. <laughs>